Appreciate that. Um, and I love to be able to spread out the joy of people praying. And so uh, if you really, 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 really just don't want to pray here in front of everybody else, let me know because I may just impromptu call on you. So you'll have to specifically tell me no if that's the case. Okay. All right. Well, here we are, Father's Day 2022. Um, we've had a joy of uh, celebrating Mother's Day a couple months ago or a month ago, and so um, just two days away from the start of summer. Can you believe it? Here we are, that close. Yeah, you can believe it when you're in the middle of the sweltering heat like it was a couple days ago, but wasn't yesterday just gorgeous? Unbelievable. Well, so we'll be back in our study in Matthew next week, Lord willing, but today I do want to address fatherhood a little bit this morning, and uh, it's going to be a little different from what we would typically hear. I'll share some of those thoughts here in just a moment as we get started. But I've titled the message today, What a Father is to Be and to Do. Okay, What a Father is to Be and to Do. Now, if you're a student of Scripture, like I hope you are, uh, if not, you'll understand from our text today that there are basically two direct passages that speak to fatherhood in the Scriptures. Now, there's many more, but these are directly speaking to fathers. And one is from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. So in fact, I'm going to have you stand. We'll use these as our text today. And if you're not, if you're new with us, we like to stand in honor of God's word when the text is being read. And so we put a, a priority on God's word. And so let's use these two texts, Ephesians 6, and then we're going to look at Colossians 3 uh, very briefly here. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then to the letter at Colossae, chapter 3, verse 21, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Right. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. So just so you know, um, when you're looking in the original language, the Greek language in this case from the New Testament, the word fathers can be broadened to talk about parents. Uh, some of you might be saying, oh good, that's just a message to fathers. Uh, I'm a mom and so I don't have to be like that. Uh, that's not the case. Okay, And God is specific in the sense that if you look at the original language, like I was saying, the word fathers here could be saying parents. So parents don't provoke, parents don't exasperate your children. But in their big context of how these letters are written, it's best to do what the translators have done and leave it geared towards fathers. And so that's why I'm saying what I am this morning, specifically on Father's Day. And instructions like these two verses that we just read would have been a huge challenge for fathers in the Roman world. And that's when Paul would have written this. In fact, let me read you something from a commentary that I found concerning fathers in the Roman times. Commentator writes, Many families, or most, were in shambles, and mutual love among family members was almost unheard of. A father's love for his children would have been hard even to imagine. By Roman law, a father had virtual life and death power not only over his slaves, but over his entire household. He could cast any of them out of the house, sell them as slaves, or even kill them and be accountable to no one. Kids thought they had it bad today. A newborn child was placed at its father's feet to determine its fate. 
If the father picked it up, the child was allowed to stay in the home. If the father walked away, it was simply disposed of, much as aborted babies are in our own day. Discarded infants who were healthy and vigorous were collected and taken each night to the town forum where they would be picked up and raised to be slaves or prostitutes. A letter written in 1 BC by a man named Hilarion to his wife, Alice, reads, Heartiest greetings. Ladies, aren't you thankful that your husband doesn't say that to you? (laughs) Heartiest greetings. But this is what he wrote. Note that we are still even now in Alexandria. Do not worry if when all others return, I remain in Alexandria. I beg and beseech you to take care of the little child And as soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. If good luck to you, you have another child. If it is a boy, let it live. If it is a girl, expose it. Seneca, a renowned statesman in Rome at the time of Paul, wrote the Ephesians letter, said, We slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge a knife into a sick cow, children born weak or deformed, we drown. Such callousness, the commentator will go on now to say, is chilling, yet according to a recent report, the primary cause for children being in foster homes today is not the divorce, financial destitution, or death of their parents, but simply the disinterest of their parents. And perhaps the most devastating abuse a child can experience is that of being neglected, treated almost as if he or she did not exist. It's very sobering, isn't it? I've read that before some time ago, but I thought it was a very apt response to what was going on in Rome and even as we hear the instruction from Paul today. But thankfully, God has a different plan than that kind of life for parents and especially for fathers in family life, which prompted Paul to write the things that he did. You know, these were written by man, but God was inspiring the messages of Paul through the power of the Holy Spirit perfectly without error so that we would have instruction from him about how to live as fathers and how to live as parents. Um, Both of which of these particular verses have some very clear instructions for us. And I'm just going to blitz through these real quickly because I want to get to one at the very end. Um, Some of the instructions I think you could deduce from these two verses are things like fathers are to be men who have earned the right to be obeyed. Now, certainly, we would all agree that parenting is enough of a right to command obedience, but there's a need really for fathers to not force that obedience on their children, which many have over the years, but to actually earn the respect of their children. Again, I would say not by force. Of course, we do certainly believe in corporal punishment, but mostly love and care and nurturing of that child. And hopefully that would earn that sense of respect enough to listen. Uh, Even if that love is not accepted by the child, a lot of times it's still necessary. There's a certain level of respect that is earned when a parent does enforce certain discipline and the parents live the life that they're supposed to live in front of the children. That all comes together in that way. Quickly, the second thing is fathers in verse 2 are to be unpopular if needed. I remember years ago, my dad said to me one time, I am your father, I don't need to be popular. And uh, that always resonated within me. And I I remember that for years and years and years. In other words, saying discipline is my job, 
uh, I love you, I care for you, and so you don't have to like it. But this is what is going to happen. Thirdly, fathers are to be patient with their children. And I don't, you can write all this down if you're quick at taking shorthand, if anybody knows what that is anymore. Uh, or you can use your voice recordings, but I'll give these to you if you want them. I don't want to spend a lot of time on these. Fathers are to be patient with their children in verse 3. Fathers are to be careful with their words uh, in verse 3. Fathers are to be careful with their emotions. And we could certainly say especially when it comes to the fact of being frustrated. And uh, I don't know of a man in this room that is a father that's not gotten frustrated at times. I may, not, I may, I may be the only one. I kind of doubt that. But I expect there are others uh, by the moaning and the groaning. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you can always tell where somebody is by the, sal- the sound of their groan or the volume of their groan, right? Some who just you know, kind of like that, others, yeah, know what I'm talking about. Fathers are to treat their children with respect. Fathers are not to be demanding but authoritatively loving. Fathers are to be present with their children. And I really am just getting all of this from these verses. I sat down uh, a couple weeks ago, and as I began to put this together, knowing this day was coming, I just thought, okay, let's see what God says just right off the cuff. And these were the things that came to my mind. Fathers are to be encouragers, to be defenders, to be caregivers and spiritual leaders. Uh, Fathers are to be teachers of right and wrong. We know that from Deuteronomy 6 and verse 7. You could throw that in there. As God was instructing Moses and the people of Israel, he says, You shall teach your children diligently when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, God is saying basically your life is to be consumed with parenting and leading and instructing. And then finally, I wrote down fathers are to be prayer leaders in their homes. I I was so blessed the other day uh, on a call with a young man who is developing a relationship and uh, first thing he said to me was what I hope to do is to begin our relationship with prayer and spend time together in prayer and then regularly in Bible study even on our dates that we go on and I thought boy some people would think that's so corny but I thought boy in that that's beautiful what better way to start out And so, again, I could spend a lot of time. We could probably take sermon after sermon on each one of these subjects. Uh, You've heard many of those messages over the years, so I'm not going to do that this morning. What I want to do, though, is specifically spend our time on this one subject, and that is fathers are to be examples of the truth. Fathers are to be examples of the truth, and that's where I really want to focus our attention. And really that's because Satan, and you know this, loves to twist the truth. That is his primary goal, his primary objective. And if he can't twist the truth, he will deny it completely as if it doesn't exist, which was from the very beginning. Uh, We've been through this passage before, but I'd take your attention to Genesis chapter 3. After God has created in chapters 1 and 2 and all that is good, we find this demise of Satan working in this serpent in chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made, and that's critical to remember. God made Satan. He is not a God to himself. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from the tree of the garden. Here's his lying emphasis here. Did God really say this? 
putting that question mark there. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you're surely not going to die. Can't you just see that conversation? You will not die, he says, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And beloved, again, we beat the same drum over and over again because we need to beat the same drum that you can mark down everything in life that is negative towards the things of God and what we struggle with coming back to that very verse right there. Everything in life, and I'm not kidding. Whatever it is in our hearts that struggles against the mandates of God and who God is comes back to this lie right here. Basically, the devil saying to the woman, you don't need God, you can be God yourself. And from that man lives that lie. And it has been perpetuated throughout history and is certainly, if you're paying attention to our culture today, certainly true in our culture. Who would think that we would be living in a time when truth is so greatly debated? I mean, just the very concept of truth, the meaning of truth, the definition of truth is being debated today. Or if it's not being debated, it's being redefined or Sadly, it's being completely disregarded, twisted, ignored, even considered by some to be rude and condescending. Truth is considered to be rude and condescending even by some of the minds who are supposed to be the greatest in the intellectual fields of life. In fact, I want to show you, and I'm going to have Christy play this about three times over because it's a very quick video. This comes from a documentary that was done by a young guy, you may have heard of him, named Matt Walsh. Uh, He just recently put out a documentary called What is a Woman? Um, I want to encourage you parents only to look at that with very selective ears because there's a lot of language in there that you don't want to hear, not from Matt, but from people who he has interviewed. Okay, What he did was he spent, I don't know how long, going around the country and the world asking one question. And the question is, what is a woman? That was his question. And he talks to some of the supposedly brightest minds in the world, psychiatrists, um, doctors, Congress people, um, people on the street, but also even a professor at the University of Tennessee. Okay, now that's the part I want you to see right here. We don't have time to go through all the rest of it. But let's just play through this loop. And Christy, if we could have the volume up pretty well or whoever's running the sound so we don't miss something. Because the speaker on the other side of the interview, the professor is kind of hard to hear. He talks real fast. So let's see if we can catch this. I'm not even talking about social context. I'm just I'm just trying to start by getting to the truth, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm really uncomfortable with that language of like getting to the truth again in social life. Why is that uncomfortable? Because that it sounds actually deeply transphobic to me. Um, And and if you keep probing, we're going to stop the interview. If I probe about what the truth is, you keep invoking the word truth, which is condescending and rude. I'm saying to you... How is the word truth condescending and rude? 
why don't you tell me what your truth is? And you're walking on 30 seconds more of the nice before I get up. What my truth is that we well, I'm not even talking about social context. I'm just I'm just trying to start by getting to the truth, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm really uncomfortable with that language of like g- getting to the truth again in social why, why life. Is that, why is that uncomfortable? Because that it sounds actually deeply transphobic to me. Um, and, if you, and, and if you keep probing, we're going to stop the interview. I, if I probe I, about what the truth is, you keep invoking the word truth, which is condescending and rude. I'm saying how to is, you, how is the word truth condescending and rude? Why don't you tell me what your truth is? And you're walking on. 30 seconds more of the nights before I get up. What my truth is that we well, I'm not even talking about social context. I'm just I'm just trying to start by getting to the truth, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm really uncomfortable with that language of like getting to the truth again in social why, why life. Is that, why is that uncomfortable? Because that it sounds actually deeply transphobic to me. Um, and, if truth? You, and, and if you keep probing, we're going to stop the interview. I, if I probe I, about what the truth is? You keep invoking the word truth, which is condescending and rude. I'm saying how to is, you... How is the word truth condescending and rude? Why don't you tell me what your truth is, and you're walking on 30 seconds more of the nights before I get up. What my truth is that we... Well, I'm not... So I'm sorry to belabor the point, but I did that for your sake because I had to watch it about 20 times shaking my head, asking the question, what is wrong with this picture? And folks, that's not a science fiction film I'm showing you. That's not just the trailer to Jurassic Park or anything of the sort. This is a legitimate professor, the University of Tennessee, who's making these statements, okay? Who is, by the way, a professor of some realm of sociology, okay? So let's do our best this morning, dads, to answer the question that Matt is asking. The question that he's asking was, what is a woman? Now, I don't want to deal with that. That's easy. The definition of a woman is an adult female. But it's amazing how people who are in the schools of higher education and professionals, as I mentioned the other titles, have no idea what that is today. Now, again, I don't want to delve into that part. That's another subject. What we're talking about here is the truth, that a father is to be an example of the truth. And so our question then for today is going to be, why is getting to the truth rude and condescending to people like this professor? Well, we have to go back to what God says in Romans chapter 1. So Go with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. You can watch it on the screen. And I just want to pick apart a couple things here and answer the question for us. But we have to read the context. And, and, and I feel like I really almost need to apologize for belaboring this point, this point being the social context of our day. Uh, but I also, at the same time, can't not do this because you and I need answers to why the world is thinking the way the world is thinking. We need some resolve in our minds as to the idiocracy of what people are coming up with. And so let's pick up in Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, for they exchanged the truth of God, not just God, for a lie. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men and men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Now, that's a lot. And if you were in our study of Romans years ago, we went through all of this, but we just have to revisit. So let's answer the question firstly. Number one is truth in the minds of people like our professor friend is rude and condescending because they don't want the truth. That's first. And that should be obvious as Paul makes this very clear when he says they suppress the truth. That simply means to press down, to hold back, to push against, meaning people reject the truth because they would rather hold on to their own sin. That's really what that means. And they hold on to their own sin because of what God has said in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, that men love the darkness rather than the light. You cannot love the light of God's truth and love darkness at the same time. And they also hate the light. They so hate the light that they will defend their false beliefs by getting angry if they need to or if it goes in a direction that they're not pleased with or even like we saw in the interview here, stopping the conversation. And that did happen numerous times in Matt's interview, not with just this man but some other people. And the reason people do that kind of thing is because they just have no better response. That's number one. That's pretty basic. But people also, you understand this, and this is a little bit of a counseling tip, if you ever wonder why people just get angry and blow up at something when you're giving them information, it's because they don't have the answer. They're not confident in the answer that they do have either. And so anger is the resulting uh, emotion that comes from all of that. Because you and I know that if we truly believe in what we know to be the truth, there's no reason to get angry over it, Right? I mean, people can argue all day long that gravity is not going to let something drop to the ground or it can be greatly influenced. But if I take my Bible and I let it go, what's going to happen? I don't need to get angry over that if you disagree with me. 
I know it's going to happen. And so I'm so confident in the fact that gravity is going to be at work through the laws of gravity that no matter what emotion you display in disagreement to me, the truth is the Bible is going to hit the floor unless God somehow supernaturally intervenes or yes, we could call NASA and they could put us in a gravitational free place and we could drop the Bible and it wouldn't happen, right? But generally speaking, that's the laws of nature. And so we don't need to get angry over something, but people get angry over things when they have no just cause for their answer or their argument. Now, secondly, truth is rude and condescending to rejectors of God because not only do they not want the truth, but they don't want the God of truth. And these are not rocket science things. These are basic truths. Notice in verse 21 of Romans 1, Paul says they did not honor him as God. That tells us a lot. It tells us that the very God that we believe in and know to be true is the God that they don't want. But according to God, who made us in his image, and we could go back to that text, we are to honor him. Now think about that. People of this life, you may have been one, you may be one, who have said, I'm not going to honor a God who is just written in the pages of ink and because some preacher stands up there and wastes his breath on something and I can't see the results of him in this world. You may argue that all that you want, but the reality is God has said, I created you in my image and we are to worship him. In Leviticus 10.3, way back in the Old Testament, Moses said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke saying by those who come near me, this is God speaking, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. Now, you know, he has a right to do that because he is, after all, God. I was just talking the other day with somebody about the fact that, um, you know, when we think about what God has done for us, we think, oh, I would rather trade what I want for eternal life, eternal peace, contentment, the riches and glories of heaven, the joy of knowing a God who loves me and provides for me for what I want in this life. It's not a very good trade in my opinion. First Chronicles 16 says, Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. If you jump down to verse 28, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And what's amazing is that God doesn't just say this to human beings. He says this to all creatures, everyone that he has made. Look, it's, this, it's Psalm 148. Praise the Lord, the psalmist writes. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created with a spoken word. All of that came into existence. Jump down to verse 7. Praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters in all deeps, 
fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and winged fowl, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. Praise the Lord. God's commandment to everything that he has created. But the problem is, back to the beginning is what we were talking about in Genesis, because man is in direct rebellion to this God and everything that he stands for, man doesn't want to give up the honor he wants for himself. It's amazing, isn't it? The pride of the human heart. And again, that's because man believes he's God. You go back to Genesis 3. Satan says, for God knows, Eve, that if you do this, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. There it is. You will be God. You don't need him. You can do this all yourself. Don't waste your time on him. And so because of that curse born into the heart of man, man wants to define his own life. Makes obvious sense, doesn't it, if you take that thought? And because man believes that he can define his own life, then he can certainly define whatever he wants life to be or whatever subject he's talking about. Because to think of oneself as God is to be me-focused. It's all about me. Me, me, me. I don't like it because I'm God. So I don't want to talk about that. Really, it's because I'm not God and I have no answer for you, but I believe I'm to be God and so I can do whatever I want, which leads us to number three. Truth is rude and condescending because people like this don't want the truth of God or God of the truth. Therefore, they must exchange the truth of God for lies as if those lies are truth. They exchange the truth for lies as if those lies are truth. So I want you to see if you can follow this, okay? Notice verse 25 of Romans 1. Paul says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And that's where our topic comes, that's where the, the point comes from. In other words, they don't stop believing there is a God. That's not what happens. Because their God is themselves. It's the same thinking that was in the other point. And if they're their own God, there's no need for the true God, so they reject him as if he doesn't exist. There's almost a pretending here. I can't agree that he exists because I'm God, therefore I'll just reject him. But to do that, they have to get rid of the truth or what truth is by very definition. You can't have multiple truths about the same subject. That defies the whole logic behind what truth is. And they do that, by, they get rid of truth by believing and accepting the lies that are perpetuated by Satan. There's a transfer. That's why God uses the word. There's an exchange here. That's a transactional word. You give me this, I give you this. Or I do this and this is what we get. And so this is just a cyclical kind of thinking. I'm not talking sick, that is that. But it's cyclical, it's circular. The cycle continually repeats. Number one, there's no God in the mind of the unbeliever. So I can do what I want and I can do what I want because there's no God but me. 
Very simple. Which is why the professor said the language of truth is uncomfortable. Because I have exchanged what you say is truth for the truth that I want. Why? Because I'm God. And so I am God because I'm rejecting the God that there is. I'm exchanging all of that for the lie that Satan bought or brought to Eve, which was perpetuated through all human race. Which is also why the professor Matt's statement about getting to the truth sounds transphobic. Meaning that Matt's question about the truth didn't fit the professor's definition of truth, so he exchanged Matt's truth for his truth. Which is again why, following the logic, Matt's truth was attacked against transsexual, transgender people. To you and me, you're kind of looking at that as I'm looking at your faces right now going, huh? What does all that mean? Well, don't get lost. Just understand the simplicity of this. Again, it's very simple. It's just effective. And that's why Satan is able to use it all the time. Exchange what the truth is for the lie. And buy it hook, line, and sinker. And you'll come up with all kinds of crazy stuff. So to live in this perpetual lie then, just going on, the truth of God is exchanged or completely denied or rearranged or reoriented with what the real meaning of truth is. And that has to happen, if you follow this logic, it has to happen in the mind of the unsaved because you and I know there's only one truth about God and his word. So if you don't accept that, you've got to exchange it for something. It's got to be replaced by something. And if you're going to believe in the God of truth, you can't have any other truth, which is what we said a second ago. Other than what God says, and what he says is right and wrong, which takes us to the last point. Truth is rude and condescending because the God of the unsaved is a totally different God. A totally different God. Which really, in my estimation, and I hope you're seeing it the same way, should be obvious by now, which is why Paul says he, what he does in verse 28. They did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. Not only have I exchanged now the, the truth for a lie, but I'm going to totally dismiss this God completely. I'm just not going to even acknowledge him. Meaning the result of their willful disobedience is to worship a different God than the God of the Bible, which is the bottom line. Because you see, beloved, everybody has a God. Most people have multiple gods. In this case, the reason I wanted to show you this video is because I want you to see the amazing lies that are being believed by people who are not just people off the street. I mean, sometimes you and I in our sinfulness will look at people and we'll make judgment calls based off our perceptions. But we look to the places of higher education and learning and the experts and the professional people out there as the people who have the answers. And you and I get stymied by what we hear from them because they're supposed to be the ones who are instructing us. And that's one of the reasons why so many people are going downhill in these areas and especially this area of truth because the proponents of who are to be the best at life whatever genre you want to put them in, are teaching that you can be your own God, basically. And you can come up with your own truth. 
But when that happens in the mind of those people, look what God does. Back to verse 26. He tells us that he gives them over to their degrading passions. Very sad reality. Notice again verse 26 and 27. For this reason, what reason? The reason that they had rejected, because they had rejected God, he gives them over to their degrading passions, and here's what they are in verse 27. They exchange the natural functions. It's as if God is saying, okay, if this is what you're going to do in rejecting me as your creator, the God who wants to give you eternal life and love you until eternity is over, and by very definition that will never happen because that's what eternity is, have your own way. I'm going to remove from you, release from you the ability to even think rationally. And so we read, and I I love the translations, and sometimes it's good to look at different translations of the same verse. King James says of verse 26, for this cause God gave them up to vile affections. I want you to hear the descriptive nature of the way it's put. The ESV, English Standard Version, says, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The NIV says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. But you see, the emphasis doesn't change no matter what the translation is. It is God, who is the creator of all things and of the human mind, giving it up. God is releasing it to no longer think or function like a rational mind. Notice verse 28. God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Now, depraved is a a metallurgist term, if you will, a person who studies metals, and it's the idea of not passing the test. It's put under scrutiny, and it's not able to stand up to what the test is to determine its correct makeup. And so God uses this word to say, I'm going to give them up to a depraved mind, a mind that is not able to stand up to the test of what a true human mind is that I created, that I gave life to. If you want to think of it another way, it's a mind that is not able to stand the test of a rational mind. And so you and I look at videos like that and we go... What is wrong? It just doesn't even make rational sense. Well, that's the point. It's because God has literally given that mind up to being irrational, to pursuing its own way, which also tells us that it is God alone who gives a rational mind. In other words, if God, just by sheer logic, if God can give up to something irrational, then that means God must hold on to that which is rational or give what's rational. So what I'm saying to you, beloved, is if you look at videos like this and you hear arguments like this that sound like they're just a Hollywood movie and shake your head and go, that doesn't make sense, praise the Lord for that. 
Because what that tells you is that the Spirit of God has given to you a rational mind. And that's the only reason you have a rational mind. Is because God has given it to you. In the professor's case, because his mind is no longer able to rationalize, to him then truth now becomes rude and condescending. And why he's uncomfortable with that language. So, I guess bottom line is, if you're able to see this, it's because you've been given a great blessing from God. Let's take this one step further here and finish out the text if you want to answer for another um, what would be the word here Um, close story to our society something that's just happened in society was the murder of the children by the person who went in and did this killed the two teachers right you say how can anybody do that well God tells us right here we just read it a minute ago Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Now, I've been talking in the context of transphobic and gender identity and those kind of things, but look at the rest of this. They are filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, and here it is, murder. In other words, the young man or anyone else who does such a thing can murder innocent children and teachers because truth was removed from him. Why? Because at some point he rejected God to the point where God determined his mind was no longer able to think rationally. And when the truth of God is rejected, that mind then is left for one place, to live within the realm of itself. But what that also means is where God is not, demonic work takes over. And so that mind then lives and operates and functions totally out of a demonic influence, either by habitation or somehow influence of the mind and controls all of that person's thinking, even their ungodly passions and therefore their acts on those passions and they go and fulfill whatever they want to do, in this case murder. And simply, if you want answers for why people continue on to do other things, just read the rest of the text. You get the full list in verse 29. Strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. God is giving us a laundry list here of things that people act upon when he has turned them over to their depraved mind. And if you want to know why there is such a strong attraction between people who do such things, and there are those people who look at the irrationality of everything, believe it to be rational because they've now rejected the God of truth and they've developed their own truth, they look at others and they say, oh, that makes sense to me. What? How can that make sense to you too? I thought there was only one nutcase. No. There's multitudes of them, and why is that? What's right here? Notice in verse 32, not only do they do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. Hearty approval. Do you know what that means? That means that there are people out there who look at that young man who murdered those children and say, good job. I agree. 
I agree. And we watch it. The next story comes out. The next story comes out. The next story comes out. And you're going, what is going on here? Well, here it is. God has turned them over. Why? Because they, out of their own will, rejected the truth of God for lies. And they buy those lies and turn them in their minds to truth. So you might be saying this morning, and I get this, why are you preaching this on Father's Day? (laughs) Yeah, I was asking myself the same question. And I have to answer it by this and simply saying, because our society is under such brutal attack from the enemy. And I'm talking about Satan. And especially our children. The very ones who create society after us. Some people have been so taken captive by vain philosophies and the ungodly thinking of ungodly leaders and teachers and school administrators and universities. It's just a free-for-all. And so the truth has to be preached. Somebody has to stand up for the truth. Somebody's got to proclaim righteousness. Somebody's got to be able to say, no, folks, listen, that's lies. That's lies from the enemy. That's what God calls the church to do. Now, we may not have a public forum, but we have a life, we have breath, we have a brain. We have a society in which we live in to speak the truth, to say, look, that's wrong. That's wrong because we were built by a creator who's the antithesis of all of that. And he wants to rescue from that ungodly thinking. And, and I'm not just picking on one. Go Again, go down the list and pick the one you want. It doesn't matter. It's anti-God. To be of God is to say, you know what? That's how I've been and that's kind of my tendency. But I see now that God says, no, that's not the way I want you to live. And so you've got to repent, turn from that. Because we all have tendencies, don't we? I mean, how many of you are old enough to recognize your tendencies that are not of God? I mean, again, we could spend a lot of time on that. I'll let you decide that with God yourself. But I guess the point is, as fathers, it's our role to be examples of truth, to live the truth, and to be unashamed in front of the world by being involved in instruction and being motivated by however we can through the word of the Lord and and the work of God. And and I understand most of us have children that are on their own for the most part. And I'm talking about our church generally in its population. We're an older congregation for the most part. I hate to break that to you. So the idea there is that once we've done all we can do to lead them, them being the children, then we understand that and remember that when they were born, and I hope this was your case, that you dedicated them to the Lord. If that was not you and you came to faith later, I pray that even now, if they're adults, you dedicate them to the Lord. Because the reality is they came from him, right? And we are stewards of them. They're not ours. They're not our possession. Our children are gifts to us from the Lord. They belong to him. And so we as parents are reminded, fathers especially, they are reminded that we are to be the examples of truth, live the truth, operate in the truth, study the truth, know the God of truth, but yet remember in our hearts our children belong to him. 
And so once we have done all we can do to influence them in the home that we have them in, in the time that we have them in, we commit them once again to the Lord and understand that it is God's business to do with them as he will. And understand this, that God is a God of love. And God will love our children 10,000 times more and deeper than you and I could ever hope to do so. And so he only has plans to bless and to honor them as they turn their hearts to him. And so dads, our job is to do what we can but mainly to look at our lives circumspectly and make sure that we're living an example that we are able to live with God's help. Charles Bridges said this, We are to cultivate the exercise of parental faith, trusting not to what we see, but to what God has engaged. Like our father Abraham, against hope, believing in hope, expect the fulfillment of the parental promise as confidently as any other free promise of the gospel. Exercise faith in the full energy of Christian diligence and in patience of Christian hope. Leave God to accomplish his own gracious will. I like that. If his sovereignty reserves the time and means to himself, his faithfulness secures his promise to us, which is and ever must be, I will be a God to thee and to thy seed after thee. I will pour out my spirit upon thy seed and my blessings upon thine offspring. And so again, dads, our job is to do our best. And when our job is over as a trainer, and I like that kind of terminology, we pray for them. We do what we can to instruct them. But you know yourself, as our kids get older, they need less instruction from us and more answers as to how we got through certain things. We use everything we have at our disposal to lead them into the truths that God has for us. And if we can... We put them in Christian schools. We lead them in Christian schooling, whatever way that homeschooling, Christian schools, literature, whatever that might be, uh, because the influence of the gospel runs deep into the heart as God opens that soul to receive his truth. It's like back to Deuteronomy 6. When you lie down, when you rise up, whatever you're doing, teach and live the truth of God. In closing in this, Matthew Henry, great commentator, Puritan, in the old days said this, when they grow up, when they grow old, it is to be hoped they will not depart from God's truth. And he says that because we have no ability to keep that from happening. Good impressions made upon them will abide upon them all their days. Ordinarily, the vessels retain the savor with which it was first seasoned, and that's true, isn't it? Many indeed have departed from the good way into which they were trained up. Solomon himself did so, but early training may be a means of their recovering themselves, as it is supposed Solomon did. At least the parents will have the comfort of having done their duty and used the means. And that's good. So dads, if I speak to your hearts this morning, whatever you look at in your families, at the end of the day, what we want to be able to do is to say to the Lord, I did everything I knew to do with your help and I'm trusting you to do everything else. And that's a good way to live. God will bring great peace out of that. So praise the word of the Lord. Let's pray together.
Father, again, very sobering truths as you bring to us that every week. Thank you for loving us so much as our Heavenly Father that you have given to us the ability to think and to discern with your spirit in us and to discern rightly the things of this life. There's not one of us in this room today that doesn't look around our culture and, and realize that there's just insanity on every step. Somewhere, somehow, we get word of something just amazingly destructive and ungodly. And we realize from your truth, as we see today, that it's because, for most reasons, you have turned that mind over. But Lord, what we do thank you more so about is that you are still God. And that even the darkest of minds can be redeemed. And so we thank you, Lord, and we pray for our culture. We pray as dads, as leaders, as husbands, as spiritual leaders. Lord, we pray for our world and for our leaders. We pray for our families. We pray for our children, that you would enlighten upon them the truth of your word and that you would bring a desire in every heart to know you as God. Thank you, Father, that you've put the knowledge of yourself there. You told us that in this passage. That every created being has the knowledge of the truth of God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would keep Satan from them. That you would not allow him to influence their sinful minds any further. But that you would protect and that you would guard those hearts. And that you would guard the intellectual minds and, and bring them back under the influence of what real truth is. The truth that you are God and you love your creation. And you have made a way for all of your created beings to be with you forever in eternity. No matter what they have done or what they have thought or where they've been or what the consequences of their decisions have been, you have made a way through the work of your son's death and resurrection to give life and life abundantly. And so we praise you, Lord, like the psalmist said. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Everything that has breath, let it praise the Lord. So, Father, we give you our hearts. And as dads, we give you our children. We give you our spouses. We give you the very breath that you've given us to breathe, that we may be faithful servants of yours. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Would everyone stand, please? Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let rescue begin. Come find, find your mercy, oh sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burden.
Father, we thank you so much for taking us as we are. Lord, we just thank you for the fact that whether we're weary or all of the sin that we have ever committed or ever will commit, you loved us through all of that. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who died for that. It's in his name I pray. Amen. <laughs> 